This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME. The staff at IBME knows what mindfulness can do for us, how it can help with deep listening skills, self-awareness, and communication. They also know how it can bring peace and help heal us emotionally. With the heated election season we're experiencing, IBME has created a space for teens and adults to all find a little refuge after the election. A shelter in the storm, post-election refuge mindfulness retreats for all ages, begins on November 13th. It's an event that you or your teen can attend individually or together. In the retreat, you'll learn skills for sustaining a home practice and bringing more ease and compassion into your life and your relationships. Just visit IBME, I-B-M-E dot com, and click the link on the picture that says fall events are here to find the all ages retreat, or simply click on the link in today's show notes to go directly to the page. Okay, mamas, it's here. Help for finding time for what matters most. I know how hard it is to be a parent and follow a passion at the same time. Whether you want to work, run a business, travel, or take better care of yourself, I want you to be able to do it and love your family. I believe that when we get to follow our passions, it makes us better parents. So I've created a lesson showing you how I started finding time for things other than being mommy. It's the same method that I use in coaching my clients, and you can get the video lesson at sandyfowler.com slash find-time. sandyfowler.com slash find-time. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast, welcoming you to today's show and reminding you to hop on over to MightyParenting.com to grab your free email series, How to Talk to Your Teen. Today, we are talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart and something that is essential for all of us, and that is rest. When I talk to parents, I often hear about behavior problems in their teens or strained relationships, and while there are many potential contributing factors for those issues, one thing I can tell you is this. If your teen is stressed, if they are tired, if they are worn out, then anything they are struggling with will be exacerbated. And if you are stressed or tired or worn out, that can strain your relationship with your child. And you hear me talking here about curiosity and effective communication, about being patient and keeping our mouths shut and listening. Well, how patient can we possibly be if we are not well rested. And I'm talking about rest in a little different way than what you're used to because that's the conversation we're having today. We are going to be talking with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician, a speaker and author. She has been featured in media outlets like MSNBC, Women's Day, Fast Company, Psychology Today, The Dr. Oz Show, and more. We don't have enough time to list everywhere she's been. She is the author of numerous books, including her new book, which is what I've been talking about here and what the conversation is going to be about today, and that is Sacred Rest, 
recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity, which are things we all want. So Dr. Dalton Smith, thank you so much for joining us on Mighty Parenting today. Hi, Sandy. Thanks for having me. I was so excited when I dug in and started reading your book because it resonated so much with me. In my work around stress relief and emotional wellness, I've advocated for plenty of sleep and for doing things that really fill us up, that really recharge our batteries. But when I read your book and saw these seven types of rest that you outline, I was just like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yes, she's nailed it. Like she explains this so well, <laughs> this idea that it's more than just sleep. So I love that. And, um, and, you know, we do think of rest as just sleep or taking a break from something, but you're telling us it is more than that. So could you maybe kick us off by helping us understand what rest really is if it's not sleep? Yes, well, you're right. I think that's where many of us lose it and, and don't have a true understanding. And it keeps us in that place of fatigue because we are trying to get rest. And really all we mean is we're trying to get better sleep. And they're not the same thing. What I found is that when you just look at sleep as the only type of rest you understand, or you're looking at the cessation of activity or stopping or going on vacation, and all of those things are, the, are how you identify rest, it puts you in a position where you are omitting other types of rest that you actually need. For example, sleep is just a type of physical rest. And physical rest is one of the seven types of rest. So if all of your energy is trying to get more sleep, you are in essence missing out on the six other types of rest that you need. And likely if you're going to sleep at night, and you're getting your six, seven, eight hours, and you wake up the next morning still tired, that's a good way of knowing that physical rest wasn't your area of deficit. That wasn't where the real fatigue was coming from. It's likely coming from one of these other six types that you're not getting, and sleep is not fixing that. And that's so interesting. You also talk about how not getting the other ones can actually be detrimental to our sleep as well. So it creates yes. this vicious cycle. Yes, it's particularly with mental rest deficits. People who have mental rest deficits have a tendency, and you would know if this is you because you lay down at night after a long day and you want to go to sleep, but you can't get your brain to turn off. You're thinking about <laughs> all the things that you have to do the next day or you're rehashing conversations you maybe had earlier in the day. And so instead of being able to get your mind to go to that quiet place, so you can go into deeper levels of sleep, you stay in the light levels of sleep. And unfortunately, sleep has multiple levels. Levels one and two of non-REM sleep are very light. I call it mommy sleep. So if, when most of us had babies, you remember going to sleep and like the second the, the monitor went off, you were out the bed. I mean, you weren't in a deep level of sleep. Well, that's stage one and two. Stage three and four, those are the deeper levels of sleep. And it's at stage three that we get restorative sleep. That's where the baby has to like scream on the monitor. And then even that takes a few minutes for you to wake up because you are in that deeper level of sleep. Most of us never get there. And because we don't get to those deeper levels of sleep, we don't get the restore restoration within our muscles and our body and our cells that keep us at our highest level of health. 
And I think for the biggest thing many of us have to understand is that you can't, your, our body and our mind and our spirit doesn't just flip off like a light switch. You can't rush from your busy day, flip the switch and then go into deep sleep. Rest is that bridge that really takes us over into higher quality sleep. And it can be done throughout the day in a way that's not intrusive to our lifestyles and keeps us in a place of, of really being in harmony. Interesting. So you said rest can take us into a higher quality sleep. Actually, you know what, before we go there, I think let's talk about at least just tell us like what the seven different types of rest are. Cause I, I think we need to have a little more understanding of what it is that we're actually able to focus on here. Yes. Well, the three that most people are, are at least familiar with are the physical, the mental and the spiritual. And then the four that are lesser known, but are often the ones that people have a deficit in are the emotional, social, sensory, and creative types of rest. And which of these do you think, I mean, they're all important, right? So which mm -hmm. do you think is the most misunderstood that we just get it wrong? I think the most misunderstood and the, the least known of all of them is creative rest. That's one of those terms where it looks, if you type it into Google, the only thing that's gonna pop up is really my research because most <laughs> people are completely unaware of it. However, they experience it and they have, they've already experienced it and didn't know what to call it. If you're someone who's ever had a sense of just peace and, and just re re refreshing that came on after let's say going into the mountains or going to the beach or the ocean or being around any kind of body of water, um, being out in the woods, out in nature. And those settings tend to make you just feel better. You feel energized, you feel at peace. Some people get the very same experiences when they are around art museums or they are in um, the theater or at listening to a symphony. All of those are forms of creative rest. It's the rest we receive when we allow ourselves to experience beauty, when we allow our, whether that's creative or man-made beauty, but beauty, and we let it awaken something inside of us. It's mandatory for anybody with any type of creative um, energy they expend throughout their day. And that, could, and that doesn't mean artists and musicians. It means the, the teacher who's having to come up with lesson plans and be innovative. It's the business owner who's having to think outside of the box to market themselves and brand themselves appropriately. Most of us are using create, creative energy throughout our day and we do not allow ourselves creative rest. And that's part of the reason we start getting burned out. Okay, that's fascinating for me on a couple of levels. One is um, I have a daughter who is so moved by music and theater and, and several of these artistic forms. And, and yes, she has played, but she hasn't picked up her instrument in years, but she still is just so touched by it. And I go and I appreciate it, but I don't have that experience. However, I do, I have that experience in nature the same way she does mm -hmm. in the, the arts. So you explaining that helps me see and connect with her now more. I can understand better what's happening. So I love having that additional connection, but I never thought about 
well, I never thought about creative rest, as you said, right? We don't <laughs> think about this. And being someone who is a business owner and spends a lot of my time being creative, but not in a way that I would have necessarily labeled it that. I am constantly constantly taking care of my peeps going, okay, what hurdles are they running into? How can we help them make progress better and faster, right? That's all creative work. It is. And I just, and I don't think about it. And it's the same thing with our kids, with our teens. They are also expending that creative energy, whether it's how can I improve this play that I'm making on my sports team or you know, a project for school or something they enjoy doing in their spare time. They're, they're going to be doing and creating around that. So if we're expending this energy, and you said rest isn't just ceasing. So rest isn't that they get to the end of their school day, I get to the end of my work day, we have dinner, and then we sit and do nothing. You said it's not just the cessation no. of doing that. So in this case of creative rest, how, how do we create that? <laughs> I'm just not yeah. thinking of another word. There. How do we, how do we implement? How do we make space for creative rest in our lives? Well, I think the, the first point is to just what you were saying. It is not about stopping or the cessation of activity always. Many times what's restful is that we need to realize that rest is equals restoration. It's the restorative activities in our lives. So just stopping is not always restful. I think we, many of us have seen that in play in our lives when we stop on the weekend, lay on the sofa and watch Netflix for 12 hours and you don't feel any more rested than you did when you first got there. That wasn't restoring anything. So a restorative activity actually leaves you in a better place than how you entered into it because it's poured back into you. And so when I'm looking at just with my own kids, when we're talking about creative, creative rest, for them, it's going outside because that's something that our current generation doesn't, don't get as much of as we did when we were growing up. And so they love being out in the sun and just being out and appreciating nature. And so I, I'm always mindful of that when I see them doing activities. Um, it's funny, my, one of my sons is um, going into the 11th grade and he's at that level where he's thinking about colleges and you know, thinking about what is my essay going to be about and all these different things. Well, that requires some level of creativity. What's a way I can share who I am in a, in a way that will speak to a committee who's judging if I get in or not. And so when, I, when he's sitting down doing some of these activities, I love when he says, I just need to go out for a minute and just take a walk or you know, shoot baskets for a minute. And you know, shooting baskets, you're physically using your body. So it's not, so most people would say, is that rest? He's physically using his body. Well, he's not trying to get physical rest. He's trying to get creative rest. And that creative rest for him comes from being outside and in the sun and just enjoying nature. So I think it's important to, to label, what am I trying to restore? Because what you're trying to restore dictates the restful activity you do. And I want to go there for a minute because that I can see right now is a big pitfall just waiting for us parents to fall into is our kid is, you said, you know, he's quote unquote supposed to be working on the college essays and he's like, I'm going to go out and shoot hoops. <laughs> and I can just see parents everywhere getting caught in the trap of going, no, you don't get to go play till those essays are written. 
Yeah. And you know what? It was very interesting because when I saw him do that, you know, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a normal parent. I'm like, we got to crank this thing out, you know? So I get that mindset. But when, when I saw, honestly, when I saw how exacerbated he was, it was like, you know, the whole mental process of trying to think of something creative was draining him. He was, he was at a point of just like, oh, this is so difficult. And when he's, and it's funny because the way rest works, because it's restoring something, that's those moments when we, we say, I can't figure out the solution to this. And we go out for that walk, that stroll outside for a moment. And it's like, all of a sudden, the idea drops in your head out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, I, I got it. I got it now. That's what creative rest does for us. And we have to understand every person gets, gets these types of rest in different ways. So I always tell parents, don't judge how your child gets rest. Observe how they respond after the activity. Was it restored? If they go out and they shoot hoops and they come in and they're like no more energized, then maybe being outside isn't how they get creative rest. As you mentioned for your daughter, she may, instead of going outside, she may retreat to her room and listen to some music for 30 minutes. Yeah, she actually gets it from outside too. It's both. But it, mm -hmm. like I said, just understanding that about her now in this moment made me feel really good, made me feel connected. And it's like you said, we have to observe how they respond to and after an activity. How do they come out of it? Um, so this is leading me to wonder when it comes to our teens, what type of rest do you find is most common for them to struggle with? Emotional rest. And I would say that twofold because as an, as an internal medicine physician, I, I work in the ER and the ICU, you know, as well as my office-based practice. So I, I get to see inside of people's lives at a level that may be a little bit deeper than, than others. Um, you know, it's very discouraging as a physician when you see teens commit suicide. Um, and, and for any parent, it's discouraging to see that. But what, as a physician, whenever I see that, particularly in the, the realm of work that I've done with rest and in talking just with youth groups and even just having teens of my own, this emotional rest deficit oftentimes will, will kind of explode into that end result. Emotional rest is the rest we receive when we feel we can be truly authentic about where we are, where we're not keeping our mask on, we're not trying to people please, we're not putting on pretense. We're, we're telling our truth in the most purest form without the makeup, without making it palatable so, so someone else can digest it. We are stating it as it is. And for teens, this is, this is very difficult to do with other teens because there is a lot of people pleasing and peer pressure and social um, norms we're trying, they're trying to fit within. So there has to be someone that they feel they can truly be themselves with because when that is not present, there is this underlying feeling that nobody knows the real me. Hence, the real me must not be okay. So I must keep the real me under wraps at all times. And when that happens, that's a level of underlying stress that is 24 seven, because you are you all day, every day. And so what I encourage teens often to do 
is to have that, what I call that one true friend. Yes, you have your colleagues. Yes, you have all the people you hang out with on your cheerleading or football team. Yes, you have your, your band crew, whoever it is you hang out with, but try to build at least one relationship with someone that is so deep that when you're not okay, you can say, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm scared. I don't know what my next step is. I don't know where I want to go to college. I don't want to make my parents upset. I don't, I don't know what's going on in my life. Someone where you can just truly say it as it is without trying to make it easier for them to understand and let that person be able to reveal to you that they accept you even in your imperfection. Every one of us needs that. And teens need it even more because they don't really know who they are yet. And I think as parents, it's important to try to be that safe place where they can have that emotional rest, where they can have one parent. Usually it's not both. There's, I always say there's kind of always a good cop, bad cop parent in a relationship type situation where, where one's kind of more stern and one's kind of more caring. And so I, I love it when one parent can be that person where the, the teen can just really be truthful, really say how they're feeling. And if that's not possible, then let it be a counselor, someone at school, maybe a school counselor or, or someone in that type of um, role where they can share what's going on with them. So that's really interesting um, with everything that's happened this year and in my efforts to understand more about racism and the experience of people of color. This is actually one of the things that I've heard from especially adults and, and black people in business communities and things is that they too, they feel like yes. they cannot be themselves, that they have to like kind of I forgot what the term is, and I apologize that I can't remember the term for it, but it, it's kind of putting on a little bit of a mask or a facade. And so mm -hmm. I'm thinking, if that's what the adults are telling me, what are those teens going through? Absolutely. And it's, it's so common. And it's, it's teens. It's, it happens within racial groups. It happens within certain professions. People who are in high-level professions who are, you know, um, who have these roles where they're in charge and these personas that they try to keep up. Sometimes just for the sake of what we call professionalism, we have these personas that we try to maintain. There's a stress that goes, a performance stress that is attached to that. And there are many teens who live under this performance stress and they never feel like they have a place where they can take it all off and just be, just be who they are underneath all of that just be, as I call, naked, naked and just exposed and raw with someone. And we need that. I think even, you know, whether you are a parent or a teen or someone in business, every person needs at least one person who knows them in the fullest of what, who they are, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it in between. And they know that they are okay as they are. Yes, they may have moments and areas of their life that could be improved, that could be changed. We all do. But if you always feel like no one knows the real you, then that tells you the real you is not worth knowing and is not okay. So I'm thinking about parents trying to help our kids. Is this a conversation to have? Like, do we, is this something to just come out and straight out ask, hey, do you feel like you have 
someone in your life who you can really let it all hang out with, that you can really just be whoever you feel you are without worrying? Yes, I think it's a great conversation to have. And I think it's also a great opportunity for parents to to make some space in their day to have opportunities to have these conversations with their kids. I know my husband and I kind of make a point of we'll break off a little bit with our children kind of one-on-one to see whether or not there's anything they want to share. Like I'll go maybe do a driving lesson with one son while he goes and does something with another son. And, you know, during those times, the other child's not there, the other parent's not there. We're not at home where someone may happen to walk in on the conversation. We're we're one-on-one. And I find some of the best talks come out of those one-on-one moments where, you know, it's not like we're planning anything. It's just what's going on in your life right now. You know, what, what are you thinking about this situation? And just given an open-ended question that the teen can then fill in with whatever they need to say. And I like the idea of going, okay, we create some space for one-on-one conversation. It may or may not happen. And so the more often that we can create little spaces, little opportunities for it, because we can ask a question and, you know, some days we'll get a shrug, some days we'll get uh, an answer, but it may not be the answer we're looking for. And another time you might ask and they might just open up and start pouring forth. There was a conversation on Instagram recently where there were some of us parents were talking about this idea of being in a car with your teenager. And we've talked about it on the show before. I've heard it other places too. There's something about that. Well, we always said, you know, there's something about that space. Well, it's one-on-one. You don't have to make a lot of eye contact. There are no interruptions or distractions. No one's going to walk in. And so it kind of, I think, creates that little safe space. So car trips, road trips are, you know, a fantastic thing, but there are other things that we can do too. And I, I really love your, your comment too. Parents, we need to make these spaces in our days, in our lives. And it doesn't have to be every single day because you may not be able to do that. But the more right. opportunity we give, and I think some of those have just disappeared on us that we actually have to think about and consciously create. Like I used to have to dry the dishes. My mom would wash and I would dry. You know, mm-hmm. But we have dishwashers now. So, I mean, and even when we had one, she still had things she wouldn't put in there, you know. <laughs> but it, and maybe she did it just so that we would spend that time. I never asked her about it. Maybe that's why she refused to put pots and pans and serving bowls in there. I don't know. But um, but I like that. I like that idea of creating that space. Okay, so we can ask them about it. What if they say no? Well, if they say no, this is what I always recommend. The thing is, you you want them to have someone. It doesn't have to be you. Because, you know, really to be able for them to feel that level of comfort requires that that relationship has been built for for some period of time. Um, And honestly, the reality is some of us, and I'll I'll use myself as an example, it took a while for my sons to get to a point where they trusted me with what I call their precious information. You know, things about life and girlfriends and relationships and, and kind of what they're thinking about school because I, w- I spent a large portion of my, their early years of their life so engrossed in my career and in, my, in moving forward in my career that I didn't spend the time investing in that relationship 
at the level necessary for them to know they could trust me with that level of information. And so sometimes we have to just start where we're at. So I can recall when we first started kind of having these conversations, it actually started off with their friends mentioning stuff about what they'd read in my books and what they'd seen on the TEDx talk. And, and they were like, my mom said that? You know, <laughs> it's very interesting because it's my kids and their friends telling them and they're like, my mom said that? And so then they're looking to see, wow, um, you know, maybe, maybe I can trust her with that information. Maybe she's not going to judge if I don't agree with what she agrees with. Maybe she will be open to, to having some deeper conversations where what I want and what I desire doesn't line up with what she wants and desires for me. And I think it's important to, to know that unless our kids kind of see a little bit into us, we almost have to be a little bit vulnerable as parents ourselves so that our kids understand that, no, I don't think I'm perfect and I don't expect you to be either. And no, I don't have all the answers and I don't expect you to either. That, you know, when we don't share that with them, sometimes what happens is they think we can't relate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, our job as parents, part of that job has been teaching them, showing them, sharing with them. And if we have not been growing in our ability to hand over the reins to them from the time they're young, it's a very reasonable assumption for them to think that if they tell us something, we're just going to correct them or tell them what to do. And that's yeah. not what they want. So we need to change the way we're doing that, which is a lot of what we talk about here on Mighty Parenting, right? How do we be the person we want and need to be for our kids to be able to be the person that who they are and to be that person in a beautiful way? But um, I'm still wondering about a couple of things here with this idea of this mental rest for our kids. So if they come back and they say, no, they don't feel there's anybody in their life they can up, open up to, what can we do at that point? Well, I think that's when it's important to either see if they are comfortable sharing that with you or if they would be willing to share that with a neutral party. Um, and when I say neutral party, I normally don't present it as like, oh, would you like to see a mental health counselor? You know, <laughs> there's so much, so much stigma attached to that term. I wish there wasn't, but there just is so much stigma attached to that. I oftentimes like for it to be approached in uh, around the um, kind of life coaching or um, a wellness coaching or uh, I don't even use the word mental in it oftentimes because I, I don't like the thought of having kids feel like they are having to deal with any type of stigma. And so you'll find that a lot of counselors and coaches use these alternative terms because it kind of takes some of the stigma off of it. And let, the, and let your teen have a chance to you know, speak with someone that's not you and be okay with that. Okay, so I like that idea of asking them, you know, us or a neutral third party, and then even saying, is there anybody you have in mind? Because there might be another person in their life. There might be an adult or somebody they're comfortable with. And if we give them the opportunity to say that first before we start tossing out various ideas, 
then we might come up with a whole new concept or even saying, well, we could brainstorm a little and to bring them into that process of picking somebody and, and taking our time with that conversation. Again, you may not pick somebody right this minute. It might be, well, let's both think about this and, and see who we come up with. And so let's talk about it again tomorrow afternoon, or let's talk about it Saturday when, after you wake up or after practice or whatever. And, and I like that, that it takes a little pressure off of that feeling again of, well, mom and dad, they're once again, telling me what I need to do and planning it and organizing it and taking that step back to just supporting them. Yes, I think that's important. I do think that is a great option to, to let them have some say over kind of how that proceeds. They, they need to have someone that they're sharing with. And I think the more opportunities you can give a team for choices, the better. Um, you know, one of the things you want them to do as they grow up is to be able to make a decision for themselves and not always have a decision forced upon them. So even in presenting kind of a a coach or a counselor that they're going to work with, I always say, give them a choice of two or three, you know, set before them, you know, well, this person's a life coach, this one's a college career success coach, this one's a wellness coach, let them see faces, you know, ask them, which one do you feel like would be someone that you could have a conversation with? And the, the thing with many times with a lot of these uh, coaches, particularly ones that work with teens, they understand the pressures that teens are under, particularly college success or what I call college life coaches. They understand the, the pressure that teens are under. So they usually approach that mental and emotional and social part of it because they know that's part of the pressure. And, and really being able to maneuver that is what's necessary to get to a level of success. Okay. Love that. Love this conversation. And just one last thing though, is are there other ways that they can get emotional rest? You know, we've dug really deep into this one because I can see, I understand what you're telling us about just how important this is. As you were talking, I looked back on my life and who those people were for me and what a difference that made. And so it all started with the idea of emotional rest are there other ways to get emotional rest besides having that one person? Yeah, other ways to get emotional rest would include journaling. A lot of people like being able to just have a way of getting the emotions out of them onto something concrete. So it's not just kind of um, moving around inside of you with no outlet anywhere. Sometimes it's, it's beneficial to release it onto paper. Uh, I have some teens who actually do it as a voice. Um, kind of as a voice uh, recording on their phone, just a way of releasing it and not feeling like you have to maintain it. Another huge thing with teens really is uh, sensory rest. For many teens, the emotional rest kind of ties over a little bit into the sensory rest need because of the anxiety that goes along with sometimes the unknown and the new that's coming into their lives. And so our current culture of teens really have a, a huge input of sensory, um, a, a huge sensory input, I should say, coming from their gadgets and their electronics and, um, you know, even their school now from in many cases is being done electronically, uh, social media, all of these sensory inputs can lead to sensory overload. And for some, they stay at a level of, of anxiety 
kind of a low level cortisol release kind of fight or flight type response because of the amount of sensory input that they have in their life. And that leads to underlying anxiety that they don't understand why am I always so anxious and on edge? And what it, the reason is they have a sensory rest deficit. And you know some basic things that many teens have started to learn that they can do, silence, turning off the radio when they're driving home from school. If you've been at a class all day with other people talking and background noise and bright lights and you know 90% of your courses are require you to have your computer or your iPad out and now you're driving home and you find that you know when you get home you're agitated you're snapping at your parents you don't want to be around your younger siblings you know everything's got you on edge you probably have a sensory rest deficit and something as simple as just not having ongoing input on that drive home, maybe taking a moment before you um, flip on the video game or whatever the next thing is that you're gonna add more sensory input to take a moment to actually downgrade your senses. Something as simple as turning the notifications off on your phone. You know, a lot of the science is showing that many of us have an ongoing cortisol release because every time our notifications go off, we kind of jump to attention to to answer those. And many of those, particularly the social media and email notifications are not that important that we need to, to go into fight or flight response. We just need to turn them off and start downgrading that sensory input. Okay. So quick recap. When I look back over what we talked about today, I think basically it boils down to, we need to understand that we need actual rest and that if we're having trouble sleeping, which many of us and many of our teens are, that one of the big causes may be a lack of rest in these other areas. And so we can start looking at those areas and evaluating where we need more rest and giving ourselves opportunity to do that. And the things that our teens struggle with the most, they struggle most with emotional rest, which can be, um, they can get that rest by being able to be themselves someplace, somewhere, sometime with somebody. Mm-hmm. And also tying into that is the sensory rest. And I'm going to add a link to um, a show or two that I think can also help with emotions and some of those just releasing them. So we'll put that in the show notes so that parents, you can, you can get some more info there. But I love the way your book was laid out in that you helped us evaluate where do I need rest? What does that, what is that kind of rest? And here are things you can do to get it. So it was very simple, very straightforward in terms of being actionable as well as giving me the info. So we will of course have a link to that in our show notes as well, but I know you have a quiz on your website and some other things. So for listeners who want more, Dr. Sandra, could you please share your website? Yes, well, I, I highly recommend anyone who, who has been dealing with feeling fatigued or overstressed or tired to visit restquiz.com. It's a free assessment to allow you to be able to determine which of the seven types of rest that you need most, which one you're most efficient in. And I have a lot of parents who do this with their teens. And so they take the quiz and their teen takes the quiz. And it's helpful to see where their rest deficits are at so that then you can really focus your attention on getting rest in the areas that you need it. You're not just trying to get all of the seven types of rest. Some of these you automatically excel at because you've just learned what works for you. 
And then there's usually one or two that maybe you weren't familiar with, and that's what's keeping you feeling tired and fatigued. And once you're able to start getting more restorative areas in that area of rest, that's when you start noticing the difference and start really feeling better. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Sadra, thank you for joining us today and helping us to get a much deeper and clearer understanding of what rest is and how we can use it in our lives and our teens' lives. Uh, It's been a pleasure, Sandy. Thanks for having me. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. If you liked the podcast, just hit subscribe. It's free. And then write a quick review. Thank you so much for being here with us today and for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, if you're here, you are a Mighty Parent. So you got this. And I will see you next week.